1: Welcome to Hey, great shot. This is the great shot podcast, a crack rackets and tennis channel podcast network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We are so excited here at crack rackets to be launching our newest show. It's called the deciding point. And of course, over the past few seasons, we have covered the college tennis world at depth we have discussed you had so many fantastic discussions with power five coaches over the past off season you can find all of those conversations of course over our on our crack interviews podcast feed we've been fortunate enough to do a weekly show on the men's side over the past few seasons we've been fortunate enough to call the national indoor championships i was fortunate enough to be on the ncaa championship call as well we thought we'd tighten up the ship here in 2022, We thought our we'd take our game to the next level up, our video quality moving forward as well. And so that's what we're going to do each and every week of the 2022 college tennis season. Rather than just offer you a podcast recapping all the action happening across the tennis world, we thought we'd pivot to video as well, make it an entire video production, incorporate the graphics, incorporate the outstanding work of super producer Daniel Westhoff that much further. And of course, cover what should be another fantastic college tennis season. And as we all know, what's this weekend? The ceremonial start of the 2022 calendar year. It's the ITA kickoff weekend. We've got 15 regions on the men's side, 15 regions on the women's side, 60 teams total competing for those final 15 spots at the national indoor championships. Of course, on today's show, what are we going to do? We're going to break down kickoff weekend. We're going to talk about the regions you should be watching most closely. We'll offer our locks for the weekend to advance, talk about the best of the rest, the hosts on upset alert, and so much more. Of course, before we do that, we'll have to start our show with another batch of results from the opening few weekends, not the ceremonial start, but certainly college tennis is underway here in 2022. We already had our crack rackets preseason number one team fall Cal knocking off Pepperdine in a dramatic 4-3 victory. Of course, we got to talk about that match here on today's show. Of course, we got to talk about all the action happening down in North Carolina. NC State, Duke, phenomenal weekends. Is the ACC just as dominant this year as they were last? We'll explore that on today's show before we get into our kickoff weekend and then a fun announcement at the end as well. And of course, joining me to discuss all of these things, one of the people you would want to help preview an uh, an event with the magnitude of the ITA kickoff weekend. Of course, you already know him as your co favorite writer on our website, crackrackets.com, founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog, the man who helped me count down from preseason number 10 to preseason number one on our Great Shot podcast feed, pre- uh, previewing this 2022 college tennis season. is my friend, John J. Parsons. J. Hey, Great Shot. Welcome to the deciding point, my friend.
2: Are you excited for a kickoff weekend? I'm extremely excited. Um, uh, uh, great job buttoning up the production. My impact, I have to say. You know, I, I joined the team and things are our next level. Um, but yeah, super excited to be here. Super excited to do this weekly with you. Um, I think video is an awesome idea. Um, really looking forward to it. And we have so much to discuss. Right, already, you know, uh, matches have happened. Kickoff weekend coming up. There's a lot happening in the tennis world. So uh, excited to dive in.
1: Yeah, we try to wear a bunch of different hats. I only wear the one hat, but the metaphorical hats here at Crack Rackets. And to balance the Australian Open, particularly on the weekend, these college tennis matches, because of the drama pushing into 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Eastern time, I was like, come on. I was like, I got to switch hats here. I got to turn on the pro tennis gear. And, you know, again, even though we haven't even reached the kickoff weekend, parody is going to be the name of the game once again this season if the first two weeks are any indication and to your point something you touched on i probably should have done a better job but i was trying to tighten the ship in that intro the reason we've pivoted to video as well and to all of you who have already commented here on our stream we greatly appreciate that fact we want to make this interactive of course I think we all know intuitively what the biggest storylines are in the college tennis world, but we want to hear from you, the college tennis fan. What do you want us to be covering? Are there people or things we aren't talking about frequently enough that you think we should be discussing? Of course, we want to hear your takes on the latest and greatest action happening across the college tennis world as well. So as Jay mentioned every week, throughout the 2022 college tennis season, 9 p.m. Eastern time, 6 p.m. Pacific. Jay and I will be right here, Super Producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos. We'll try to incorporate some fun things as we move throughout the season. Obviously, it's a kickoff weekend. I think you all know what we have to cover on today's show. But yeah, we plan to have some fun on this uh, throughout the course of the year. With all of that said, Jay, we got a lot to talk about today. So let's get into it. Let's start with the weekend results. How can we accurately preview what we expect to happen this weekend without reflecting upon what we just saw occur? I think the place we have to start is with the win by the Cal Bears for them to knock off Pepperdine this early in the season, do it in the fashion that they did a 4-3 victory over Pepperdine in a match where Pepperdine takes the doubles point. And we have yet to release our number one college contenders on Pepperdine, but just so all of you listeners get a little sneak peek, Jay and I rave about the Pepperdine waves. When I say rave, I mean I. You guys can see us all now. We essentially did that Zoom topless. It was that exciting, and we were just <laughs> lathered up uh, on in these Pepperdine waves. And obviously, right away, pour that cold bucket of ice water on us because you know you see these Cal Bears, a team. We had left out of our preseason top 10. I would point out we did not know about some of the late additions to their roster that would come. And we discussed that on our podcast as well. But you look at what this Cal Bears team was able to do to overcome dropping the doubles point, to not get a win at the number one singles position from Haley Giovara, who is not the only talent on their roster, but is certainly the talent we were most sure about heading into the season for them. You know, to really, you know, sweep the bottom four. I mean, when we talked about Pepperdine, we said they had six number ones. And Cal sweeps the bottom four, Jay. Not the result we were expecting to start the season.
2: Not at all. I think we had, you know, pinpointed this as this is going to be a great match. We're going to learn a lot about Cal. We're going to learn a lot about Pepperdine. Did not have that on my bingo card. Um, particularly <laughs> the way that Pepperdine won doubles so easily. Uh, This was a match that was in Malibu. It was extremely windy. If anyone tuned into the live stream, you had to turn your volume down. Like, you could noticeably hear how loud it was. And I immediately thought that that would definitely favor Pepperdine, given they're more familiar with those environments. Um, But, yeah, we also said that, hey, you could take Pepperdine's top eight, roll them out in any order, and, you know, you'd feel pretty good about getting three wins. No one's going to get four. Cal goes on the road bad conditions down a doubles point. They got smacked in doubles, like down a big doubles point. Um, And they come out and they take three through six, which was extremely surprising. Uh, Pepperdine did not look their best. Uh, There were a few positions I was watching in particular where it seemed like whether it was the nerves of the, of a Pepperdine debut or the windy conditions where it just felt like Cal was playing the conditions better, playing the, the, the moment better. Um, And ultimately I mean, you had a, a January admit in Katya uh clinch at number five.
1: Yeah, and it's even beyond that. You look for Al Sola at three, who knocks off Vicky Flores. Al Alsola's a freshman, and to win that match three and six, didn't even go the distance. She takes care of business there. And, you know, at six, that's a sophomore for Cal, taking okay. on a freshman in Savannah Brodus. And I will say this. Savannah Brotus at six now is not the Savannah Brotus we'll see come May. Obviously, the highly esteemed freshman still acclimating herself to the dual match environment, to the pressures that come with everything. And of course, it is worth mentioning, no patch Galeva, who we last saw in the national championship match playing just a stunning 4-3 match against Lulu Sun. You know, she was not on the court for these Pepperdine waves and Janice Chen, I, who was injured in the fall and we didn't get to see much of, she's still working her way back to health, but bottom four, like bottom four. I think when we play the game of does this is tell you more about Pepperdine or do you learn more about Cal though? I think the answer has to be you learn more about the Cal bears because it's an early season loss. And like that happens. And even for an experienced team, this is a wake up call for Pepperdine as they look towards the kickoff weekend. But to your point, you look at how the doubles unfolded 6-2 for Brodus and Chen at one 6-love for Fukuda and Amashkine at at number two and by the way if you're like a long-term Pepperdine fan you want to do the glass half full take they won the doubles point like if they're (laughs) winning doubles point don't worry come May they'll be fine but this tells you about the fight that this still young Cal team already has
2: yeah and you know initially without Patrick Leva you say okay that that's someone that would start in their top six but We've talked about this before. Take anyone out. You still feel good about them winning at least three singles matches. Also worth noting though, Cal didn't have Jada Bowie uh, who played middle of their lineup uh, last season, had some good results in the fall. So it wasn't a full Cal team either. Uh, So it definitely tells you a lot more about Cal whose season, you know, last year was pretty restricted with some of the PAC 12 uh, restrictions, obviously had a tough match against North Carolina in the round of 16. So, you know, things are looking up for Cal um, and I'm excited to see them play a full season and, and get to know a lot of their players better because, as you mentioned, they, it's still a very young team um, and we didn't get a lot of them on the national stage last year, so they've clearly uh, come to play in 2022.
1: Yeah, and the good news about this Cal team is we're going to get to see them tested. Not only are they hosts to a tricky kickoff weekend, which we will talk about later, but you know Texas is coming to town later in the year, and I believe they play UCLA in a non-conference uh, matchup as well. And just again, this team's going to get tested. It's going to be fun to see how they compete, and certainly conference-wise, UCLA, USC, Pepperdine, uh, excuse me, Stanford. Will they get all- Pepperdine again? Yeah, that's what it is. It's Pepperdine one more time, not UCLA one more time. See, this is why it's always great to have you on here, Jay. Um, No, this Cal team was excellent. I mean, again, when you look at the lineup for Pepperdine, because let's let's just put this at a final thought. Over under 26 and a half permutations for pair this year as he looks to find who should play at one, who should play at six.
2: In singles?
1: Yeah, just in singles. (laughs) Under. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, but he could do that, right? Like, I feel like you could play Russian Roulette and just be like, all right, today it's Flores at one. Today it's Brotus at four. Like, I feel like that's the, the goal by the end of the season, certainly.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Cal feels similar, too, right? They have a lot yeah. of parity within kind of their middle of the lineup. You know, Giovara is going to play one, and maybe you're a little less certain on who plays one for Pepperdine, but two through six, um, even last season, you saw a lot of fluctuation. Um, so, I expect to see a lot of fluctuation on the Cal lineup as well, particularly in that kind of two through five area. Um, so, these are two teams that feel very similar a, across the board, right? You don't always have that on teams. You sometimes have pretty clear tiers within the lineup. Both of these teams feel like they have uh, the luxury to, to play around and find the ideal lineup. Yeah. And so, we
1: will see more of them. Certainly, big confidence boosting win for the Cal Bears. This is not the last we will see if Pepperdine, who plays just about everyone this season, Pear Nielsen, certainly going to make diamond on his Delta flight uh, plan. But with that in mind, let's move on to our next region. And I want to talk uh, about what happened over in North Carolina over the course of the weekend, in particular, what Duke and NC State were able to accomplish. Let's start with the Blue Devils 4-3 victory. On Friday, over Ohio State, four-two victory over Princeton on Sunday. It was, you know, I want to start with the Friday victory over the Buckeyes because what was so fascinating right off the bat. A, obviously, we talked about the importance of the doubles point for Duke in our preseason preview of them. All of these preseason uh, podcasts, by the way, available on our website, CrackRackets.com, or on the Great Shot podcast feed. We talked about how good they were in doubles last year and how so frequently they found a match calculus of doubles, two, three and four singles. And when you lose your number four singles, how are you going to replace that calculus this year? And you lose some of your doubles pairings as well. How do you replace those? Well, Duke was able to do that over the course of this weekend. And, you know, for them, whether it was back in Billiken, getting a big seven, six, when to clinch that doubles point at number one and then Kelly Chen. At number four singles, Jay, Kelly Chen, who was top five in the country, I want to say, in 2020 when things stopped uh, by were stopped by the pandemic. At number four singles, clinches a three-set victory for her team over the Buckeyes. Again, let's just start here. Good win for this Duke team, certainly. Good experience for the freshmen who, you know, not the best day for them on the singles court, but still, I thought this was a really good win for this Blue Devil team.
2: It was a huge win. I think it was a surprise, at least for me to see Chen at four. I think we thought we were going to have our top oh, three. And- a surprise, a shock, <laughs> a shock. She goes from one last season
1: playing well at one to four. That is not something I, you know, Coach Ashworth pulling out of the Ty Tucker playbook.
2: Well, she definitely struggled at one. I don't know playing, playing well. Um, you know, I, but it was going to be, I think, Drummy and, and Beck. I think I had thought chen would play three and so it's really a a testament to the success of the freshman we talked about this on the duke pod the the fall success that emma jackson had right so for her to go up to to four to three uh maybe we thought that would come later in the season so a really good win off the um off the bat for this duke team who's looking to establish themselves uh with a lot of new faces as well um you know we'll get into this but i think that the The player of the weekend probably has to go to Drummy that was a really good win over uh, Irina Kantos of Ohio State. And we'll get to her win against Princeton as well, but some really good victories that they put on the board and really demonstrating the strength that they continue to have at the top of the lineup in both Drummy and back.
1: Well, I think it's the core three and the returning three who get the job done here. And that's so critical for this Duke team early in the season. And we talked about how the experience of Drummy, of back of Chen would provide a crutch to this team early in the season to lean on. They did that. Against Ohio State. And you can see the reaction on your screen of Kelly Chen clinching that in that moment to get the early confidence boosting win. Again, that's big for the Blue Devils. We'll talk about their region later on. But as you mentioned, you transition over to the Princeton match as well. It was a repeated effort. From that core, you look for Duke, they take, or they drop the doubles point, excuse me, against Princeton, 1-0 deficit. And still, like, once again, it's it's Drummy, who you're right, has to be the player of the weekend to beat Contos and to beat ITA fall national finalist Daria Freeman of Princeton, number four in the country, and now beat her in straight sets, and then, you know, Kelly Chen battling, but this, uh, you know, on this day, it's Emma Jackson getting the win at four and Billiken coming into the lineup, getting the win at six. I, I like that, you know, again, match number one, let's lean on the returners. Match number two, some other people have to step up. They did that. It's a good weekend for the Blue Devils.
2: It is. Um, I mean, I think to have Drummy and Beck go 2-0 and on both their singles wins back-to-back against very good competition, particularly Princeton, right? Their, their top two can hang with anyone, with Freeman and Hugh at the top of the lineup. So for Drummy and Beck to get both of those victories... Uh, it's probably going to be pretty similar to what Duke had to do last year, where they really need to rely on those two points. And then they need to find potentially one, maybe two others if they don't get the doubles point. I think it was a little bit of a concern seeing some of the, the places that they drop singles matches and in the bottom of the lineup, because that's an area that they need to shore up. Um, but overall really good weekend for the top of the lineup. The question remains around the, the bottom half.
1: Well, I think there's a kernel of of positivity for Emma Jackson, the freshman who loses at number three against Ohio State, comes back, gets a win at four over Bonetto of Princeton on day number two. And... Again, for any freshman, we talked about it with Savannah Brodus as well. It will be much better, much more experienced, much more calloused come May than they are now. And I know we see some comments from all of you. We appreciate all of you sending those comments. We'll get to our ITA kickoff weekend as soon as we run through these results. But one of them asked, and I was going—we were going to get to this eventually. We can do this now since we're talking about this Princeton team, 0-4 oh, start for Princeton Tiger team that certainly has a ton of talent. And let's be clear. The Ivy League hasn't competed since February, like early March of 2020. And yeah, they got to play the fall, but no dual match season, no anything for them in 2020, 2021. And now we get into the fall uh, and into the spring. Excuse me. And you look at this team on paper, a lot of talent, that top three, Freeman, who, Schvetz, they can compete. We still got to learn more about who's going to be four, who's going to be five, who's going to be six. Fill out the rest of this roster, and again, not an easy start scheduling wise. They go play Oklahoma, they you know play Duke, they play NC State. I'm forgetting one in there, Oklahoma but it's, State yeah, I, the Oklahoma thank you, Oklahoma trip. State as well. They double up in both of these trips, and yeah, they go zero and four. But they played all four matches tight, Jay. Like it, so we get an ask from sports fanatics, exclamation point on the fanatics. He's just not a fanatic. He's a fanatic. Um, I don't think there's any panic meter. Like, if anything, this is what you knew might happen with the scheduling. Now, 500 rule-wise, I think they're still going to be okay. But, like, I was actually pretty impressed with the way they competed,
2: given how long it's been. Certainly. Right. And they just snuck in to, for, to be eligible, March, 2020, their last match was March 1st, 2020. Yeah. Um, So it, it's been a while, right. And just, you, you talk to anyone, just the rhythm of a dual match is you know, it takes some getting used to they're going to have a lot of players who have either had very minimal experience or haven't had any at all. Um, So you expect for them to be rusty coming out of the gate. I thought they did compete really well. It is disappointing that they go. 0 and four, I do think that, um, that will hurt them long-term, particularly in the rankings. Um, looking at their schedule, there aren't a ton of other opportunities unless they really do well this kickoff weekend to get some of those ranked wins that they'll need to be a top 16 seed, of which I think they are talented enough to be. So I think the 0-4 is not necessarily disappointing from do you feel worse about Princeton, but just from a, a ranking standpoint and what that could mean for their postseason, that's probably where, where it hurts them.
1: Certainly, as an Ivy League team, you got to ra- rack up those ranked wins. And when you have the opportunity, they put themselves in this position for their opportunity. And you're right. When you look back, if they're not a top 16 seed, you'll point to the fact that they went 0-4, that yep. in Oklahoma snaked them in particular, or that you know in Ohio State. I think Ohio State, NC State's a sort of different story. Uh, excuse me, Duke and NC State's a different story. But yeah, this was certainly a moment for this uh, Princeton team. Now you look on the, again, the fourth team in this quad here, Ohio State. 4-3 for them against Duke, 4-3 for them against NC State, which is where I want to go next, if we can, Super Producer Daniel Westhoff. Let's talk about the NC State Wolfpack, who, you know, Simon Earnshaw pulled the fast one on us. He knows he did that. He knew that he could have just, it was low-hanging fruit for him to just let us in. And then when people ask, oh, why do you have NC State in your top 10? We can say, well, you know, we're filled in. We know what you guys (laughs) don't. Um, But he didn't do that. And thus, we seem a bit behind the eight ball. That said, I mean, it was a prove-it sort of weekend for NC state to get the four, three win over Ohio state. And in the fashion that they did as well for them to just, you know, again, take the doubles point comfortably earn victories for them at four, at five, at six, how often do we say it's depth that wins championships and separates these teams at the top of the rankings. And of course, you look for them against Princeton as well. They take the doubles point once again, and it's wins for them at three at four at five, You know, it's the returners to this NC State team, Jada Daniel and Rinchelli, who you know at the top of the lineup, and yet it's the newcomers getting the job done. I mean, if you're head coach Simon Earnshaw, not only did you get the wins, which you always celebrate, but to get the wins in this fashion, I think this is about as ideally as it could have been scripted for the Wolfpack.
2: Yeah, it was a great weekend for them. Um, in many ways, despite NC State and Duke both going 2-0, and they did it in very different fashion, right? Yeah. Uh, NC State actually lost the top two in both of their matches and was able to get it done uh, in the spots that you mentioned, those kind of three, four, five, and six spots. Um, so I thought that was a really good performance from them. The absence of Alana Smith hurts. And mm-hmm. if you tuned into the stream, you could see her in a boot wheeling around, uh, going 0-2 at the top spots in both of those matches, right? You you prefer to have uh, Jada Daniel and Ranchali at 2-3. and 3. So that will be a question, I think, moving forward. How healthy can Alana Smith be? When can she get back in the lineup? She'll obviously be a huge asset for them in doubles. Looks like they didn't need it this weekend, but of course they'll need that moving forward. But overall, for them to get those two ranked wins is going to pay dividends down the road.
1: Yeah. And again, you know, Freeman splits her matches on the weekend. And I believe uh, Vicky, who splits her matches, Schwetz was up on the weekend as well. That top three of Princeton is very good. So there's yep. no shame in those losses for this NC state team, but you're right for them. You know, last year, they were so good at doubles. So, so excellent at doubles. And they were up one Oh, in just about every match they played until they ran up against Texas in those semifinals. And to see this team have some success early in the season in doubles, I think that's critical for them going into the kickoff weekend. And boy, you think each and every one of the teams in NC State's region, Northwestern, Wake Forest, Iowa State, is like, Can we get a redo? Like, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, he can add what? Like, what do we do with? We didn't draft with this knowledge in mind. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. I think for this NC State team, you know, again to get the ranked wins over Ohio state in particular, because you look for the ACC it's crowded at the top. As always, you've got a North Carolina program. That's not going anywhere. You've got Duke. You've got, you know, this NC state team, you've got uh, other teams uh, chomping at the bit as well. In Virginia and obviously wake forest has put together a good fall and just all of these schools, the depth, you can go on and on and on. I'm sure I'm missing some schools here. We know what Georgia Tech's done the past few seasons. This was big for NC state. Now on the flip side, two, four, three losses for the Buckeyes. I mean, if you're coach shop, you're just kicking yourself.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, but this is why you schedule the matches, right? 100%. To give your, to give your chance to play Duke and NC state smart scheduling, go out of conference. If you get one of those, that's a massive victory. So yeah, it's, it's tough to go four three, particularly in some of those matches, you know um, where they had opportunities, But ultimately, I think, you know, she needs to take away some positives. I thought Coley Allen got a few victories uh, in singles. I thought that was really good. Um, Boulay got wins. Like a lot of the pieces are starting to form back together where we had a lot of questions about those players in the fall. So ultimately, it's a great test for them. They'll continue to get tested against some of the Big 12. Hopefully, if they get through the regional, they'll get more matches for opportunities to get some of those ranked wins. You know, you schedule tough, you're going to have some tough losses.
1: No, our lineup decision of the week would probably be at number six singles for the Buckeyes, where against Duke, they play uh, Luna Dormit, the veteran returner, ton of success for her last season. She gets the victory for them. She does not play at six. They play uh, Brezniak. Uh, at six against nc state nc state able to get the win now i'm not saying you regret that decision that to your point exactly why you scheduled these sorts of matches but that's just an interesting thing to note as we look towards the kickoff weekend because again the buckeyes loaded weekend in columbus that of course we'll talk about momentarily before we get to that itia kickoff weekend and we are right around the corner there any other results that caught your eye you want to mention from the past
2: weekend I think we talked about the main dual matches, right? The weekend before we had a lot of tournament play this past weekend. It was really those um, top mm-hmm. matches that we talked about the North Carolina region. Uh, Cal.
1: Yeah. I got two more for
2: you if I'm okay. May. Yeah. So sure. South Carolina, Oklahoma. Good
1: win for Oklahoma. Once again, to a five, two victory for them over South Carolina gained some momentum for Oklahoma as they had to do yes. this weekend. And now they've beaten Princeton. And, you know, now they've earned a good, you know, again win over an SEC team in South Carolina. And it's worth noting, you know, for Sarah Hamner who goes, you know, she looked dominant two and two over courtly at number one. That's another fantastic victory for the Gamecock freshman. but You know, this Oklahoma team, and you corrected me, you know, it's the depth for them. They sweep two through six, uh, two through five, excuse me, and they get the four uh, singles victories that they need uh, to add on to that doubles point that they look better and better at
2: this season. This Oklahoma team's good. Yeah, and they're still good without Guzman. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, something to note. It was disappointing that the South Carolina, o- South Carolina scheduled the same Oklahoma trip that uh, Princeton did. And unfortunately their match with Oklahoma state was canceled because of COVID protocols. So that was a disappointment, but yeah, this Oklahoma is starting out real strong. We'll talk about where they are in the ITA kickoff weekend, because that's a juicy matchup. Um, but overall, I think Oklahoma has a lot of options at four five and six um, that will line up well against anybody.
1: Yeah, the other one I would throw out there, good victory for te- the Tennessee Volunteers going into kickoff weekend as well. They're in that Buckeye region, and they get a good win over Wake Forest, four three, a match where they drop the doubles point but are able to find four singles victories. That's exactly why are these schedules loaded in weekend one and weekend two of the seasons because their team uh, coaches want to put their teams in these scenario. I noticed what the volunteers were able to accomplish. And it's it's just right now, something in the water in Knoxville. I mean, the Tennessee men, it's 4-3 win after 4-3 win. Tennessee women, 4-3 win. They're doing something right. No air conditioning still at the (laughs) Indoor Center in Knoxville, which like what year is it? Um, But, you know, you got to love it if you are a Tennessee fan. So those are the results from weekend number one. And of course, I have to give a massive shout out to our friend Chris Hallioris, who has the best feature in all of college tennis, the college week behind tab that where you can go look at all the results from the past week, the week ahead, where you can see the schedule ahead with that in mind. Let's talk about that schedule ahead. Let's preview this weekend's ITA kickoff weekend action, 15 regions across the country. And just a reminder, to any of you fans who forget how this works at the end of the year, come, let's say, early June or mid-June, early July, we get that ITA kickoff weekend draft. Well, Way too early. Now that we're, are we doing this now? (laughs) It, yeah, <laughs> you brought it up yeah haven't we done this already um yeah it's especially with all the late editions, right you would think but of course logistically flight plans got to lock it in try to lock everything in as early as possible jay uh, the good news is we're on video now so hopefully all of you listeners who listen to this in podcast form will go see the just dis- disregard <laughs> jay has for my opinion
2: on this issue but i have course, a solution uh, just have the host site book out X number of hotel rooms. And you're telling me if you did the draft in December, six, eight weeks ahead of travel, coaches couldn't book a few plane tickets? Well, no comment. Um, I think it's just about, again, logistically being
1: able to organize everything as soon as possible. I agree. There's probably, you can go a little later, maybe September, maybe October, maybe not June. Just let's see how the enrolling goes. But anyways, you have a kickoff weekend draft. And that kickoff weekend draft yields you the 15 regions we're playing. Of course, this year's National Indoor Championships being held at the beautiful Nielsen Tennis Center in Madison, Wisconsin. So the University of Wisconsin team gets an automatic bid into the final 16, but now we've got 60 teams competing for those final 15 spots, 15 regions, four teams a region. You had your 15 host sites that are the top 15 teams that aren't the host site uh, of the actual national championships in the ITA end of season drafts. Your host sites this year For the ITA kickoff weekend, Texas, North Carolina, Pepperdine, Georgia, UCLA, NC State, Florida State, Duke, Virginia, Georgia Tech, UCF, Ohio State, Cal, Baylor, Texas A&M. Now, obviously, right there, that's 15 schools. You probably don't remember half that I just said. That's indicative of the fact there are a lot of teams competing across the board this season now we're going to break down all 60 of the teams on this show no we are not what we're going to do now to break down these regions again is answer four questions for all of you we'll talk about the most interesting region the weekend we think you have to tune into throughout the course of this kickoff weekend play we'll talk about the other most interesting uh we'll talk about the other weekend locks that we have who are the top seeds we think are going to cruise we'll talk about the hosts we think most likely to lose uh as the host sites here in these 15 regions then we'll talk about the best of the rest of course try to cover all 15 to some extent wouldn't be a preview podcast if we didn't offer predictions so of course we will do that as well with all of that said jay let's get into it and talk about this ita kickoff weekend the ceremonial start of the 2022 season. Let's start with the most interesting region. There are a couple of nominees, I think, that pop out right away, and we've referred to them already. You look at Ohio State, who's hosting LSU, Tennessee, and Oklahoma State. That one, fascinating. You look at what was seemingly NC State, Northwestern, Wake Forest, and a a surging, excuse me, Iowa State team that one's fascinating. Baylor, Miami, USC, Kansas, Georgia Tech, Michigan, Old Miss and Old Dominion. There's a lot of good stuff up and down the board. Ultimately, we decide on Texas A&M, South Carolina, Texas Tech and Princeton. That's our most interesting region, Jay. Make the case as to why.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this was one that we scheduled before or we kind of circled once that draft three years ago was made, um, it, you know, because of the, because of Texas A&M and South Carolina uh, and the unknowns about Princeton, if anything, this region has gotten more interesting as we've started to know more about these four schools. I think first off the addition of Carson Branstein, who did play number one singles in her collegiate debut for Texas A&M makes that Texas A&M squad very interesting. So if we get a matchup with that in South Carolina, that's a kind of a, a marquee matchup. You know, Sarah Hamna's rise, if you will, in the fall has made this region that much more interesting. Just the and the transfer of Ayanna Ackley to South Carolina right there. Top two. Really interesting. We've talked a lot about Princeton, uh, kind of the expectations on them. If anything, what makes this more interesting is can they get the win? Right. Are they can they get a few wins here? This is one of the going to be one of their few opportunities to get non-conference ranked wins. And then last, you have Texas Tech, who's always a dangerous Big 12 team. They have a really strong number one. You feel like they can get on the board in a few different places. So ultimately, I think just given the, the storylines here, I think it's the most interesting region. I agree with you. And it's because there are so many unknowns about each of
1: the teams entering the uh, this region it's whether we just talked about princeton and their zero and four start to the season they've yep. come very very close and they've gotten wins at different positions but again when you look at this region on paper like we, there's a potential for uh, a Hamner Framen matchup at the number one single spot. How is that not extraordinarily intriguing? Two of the top five players in the fall, and honestly, I still think two of the top ten players. Once you factor everyone else in as well in the country, and yeah, what what does Texas A&M look like? You know, again, Goldsmith I think was playing what four singles, and that's yeah. yeah, in that starting match we had her penciled in for two in our cracked rackets preview. And I think a lot of teams now knowing Branstein is a lock and that she is playing number one and playing healthy, not a lock to win, but a lock to be playing uh, in the, in the lineup this season. It's just an added dimension of depth. And like, so here's my question to you as we look at this region, who's the deepest team, Jay? Like you look at the UTRs, the margins are pretty thin across the board. I think
2: you've got to go deepest team with Texas A&M. Right, I mean, if you just look at their 2021 season, they actually did really well at the four, five, and six spots. I mean, Renee Renee McBride, I think at five was almost undefeated in the SEC. So they have a lot of options. They brought in a large freshman recruiting class um, that includes Mary Stowana, who I think will probably play near the top of the lineup or at least middle. As several other other freshmen. Um, so if they go seven, eight, nine deep, that the scales start to tilt pretty heavily in Texas A&M's favor. I think in terms of depth that has been the question for Princeton and South Carolina, two teams that you feel really strong about at the very top of the lineup.
1: Now on the flip side because I would agree with you there and no disrespect to coach Petty and Texas Tech who I think they I think don't sell them short. They might be the most experienced team in this region. Despite being young last year they were extraordinarily young. This year they bring the whole gang back. And so again, That, as we learned this season, there is already this season, there is inherent value. Just look at the Duke victories to bringing back a core that has competed together. But on the flip side of the depth argument, who's got the best top threes? Because like Freeman and who and Schwetz for Princeton on paper, that's extraordinary. And then Hamner and Ackley, who lost at Oklahoma, but was certainly a top 25 player here this fall and a fantastic 2021 season. Like, I don't care who's at number three. You feel pretty good about that top two against anyone. And then, you know, whether it's Branstein and Makarova and whomever at the number three spot for this Texas A&M team, the top, because again, like who's to say if Princeton can, if their top three play their best and Schwetz was up on Kelly Chen, seven five five all when that match finished. And, you know, who's to say they can't get a sweep from Schwetz from who? from framing and all of a sudden you just got to find one more. This Princeton team is that good. That's why this, again, region is inherently fast. like, I'm not saying I give them the edge, but I think Rihanna Schvetz as her bat be- at her best is the best number three singles player. And I like, how can you count out the rest of those top
2: two? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's not the depth. That's interesting. It is yes. like the, the match calculus for both a Princeton and a South Carolina team is to win at the top of the lineup and get doubles. Um, right? So health is probably a factor. We haven't seen Townsend play, I believe in singles for Texas A&M yet. So that is an open question mark. Um, So if you're South Carolina and Princeton, your recipe is your top three, which we've talked about with Texas A&M is a question mark, right? Makarova entered the season, top 10, had a pretty disappointing fall. Who knows where Brandsting's level is really at, right? Is she a top 10 player? Is she a top 50 player? So you feel really good if you're Princeton or South Carolina about taking those victories and you kind of have to as well. Um, but there's, there's pathways, which is what makes this interesting.
1: Yeah. I, the, you know, again, I think from a matchup perspective, this may have been a more fun region if you switch Texas Tech and Princeton. And I'm not saying, again, I still think every permutation is in play, right? Like I think you're just as likely to see a Texas A&M versus uh, who's the number two seed, I suppose, in this region. That would be South South Carolina. Carolina. I think you're just as likely to see Texas A&M, South Carolina, as you are to see Princeton versus Texas Tech and any of the combinations in either the winners or the losers bracket. That said- the Texas A&M team, the depth they have, four, five, six. That's exactly what Princeton, I don't want to say lacks, but is most unknown about them at this point of the season. Similarly, for Texas Tech, while they have a lot of continuity at the bottom, you just feel like Hamner and Ackley may be prohibitive favorites at the top for South Carolina. And so it's kind of, a, yeah, it's, you know, uh, unstoppable object means, Im- or immovable object means unstoppable force. And so it's a fascinating region. Any lineup particulars you're looking most closely to that we haven't mentioned yet or in general, you know, know, give me the prediction who you got moving out of this one.
2: Yeah, so I think the one thing to note is that Princeton did play a fall invite at Texas Mm A&M, so they do have some familiarity with the courts. I think that will be to their uh, benefit. Ultimately, I have Texas A&M advancing on their home courts uh, and making it to the indoor in Wisconsin. I wanted to disagree with you at different points of this show. I don't even remember who
1: I predicted at this point. And I was like, off. I was like, okay, he picked. Okay. I was like, but that was our number nine preseason team. So that's continuity between the two of us. So I agree. I think I'm going to roll Aggies as well. I think Texas Tech is coming out of this region with a win. That's my hot take. Ooh, okay, about that's a hot region. take. Yeah. And so I think Texas Tech is coming out of this region with a win. I think they can hang. Here's what I will also say, though, if Princeton goes 0-2 again here, 0-6 through the first six, again, playing very similar matches across the board. I still don't know if that's a bad thing. It's like, all right, you got to get out a year and a half of losing because it's like you haven't played in a while. But I just think getting calloused up this early, like, I guess, would you hit the panic button if Princeton goes
2: 0-2? Panic isn't the right word. Um But I would try and schedule a few double headers or some cupcakes to just just get just get the team some wins. Right. This is a very aggressive scheduling, which you love to see. But it would be it'd be tough to chart a pathway to having a really successful season if you start the season 0 and 6.
1: That's our most fascinating region, but there are plenty of other interesting regions for us still to cover. Let's move now to our locks. And just, you know, again, everyone wants to know, how are the top seeds going to do? Who are the contenders? Where should I be watching them play? Now, we have four Tier 1 locks, if memory serves me correctly, three in the Tier 2 category, it was interesting because I saw an initial draft of your list, Jay, and you had five tier ones. And I was <laughs> and, and I was going to disagree with you and say, are we so sure about lock number five in the tier one category? But you have subsequently moved them. And shout out to Super Producer Daniel Westoff the best in the business at these graphics, putting them up in our tier one category. We have the Texas Longhorns, your defending national champions, victors uh, hosting, excuse me, Rice, SMU. Florida Atlantic. Let's just start there quickly. Any problems or what are you looking for most closely for the Longhorns this weekend?
2: Just line up in health, right? We did see Texas in action. We saw freshman Zainalova play. We saw Vivian Vrutsky play. Those are all good signs. So just kind of monitoring the health and the success of some of those freshmen. We know the known quantities of the returning sophomores.
1: Yeah, how do we get a Blair Henley bump to the Rice program? We're talking about Rice women's finest, Blair Henley. Why is she not on here right now? Come on, Blair. Um, no, I I think Texas Cruz is, again, yep. it's just fascinating. Who plays where? What are the doubles combinations? It's early in the season so We have a lot to learn. I agree with you as well. Number two on our lock list. The number two seed, North Carolina, playing host to Oregon, Tulsa, and Charlotte. We saw Charlotte compete this weekend. I believe they took a 7-0 loss. I want to say to Tennessee uh, over the course of the weekend. And so, again, Oregon down Janice Chen. Still plenty of talent out there in that Pac-12. Tulsa always in the mix as well. Still, even without Graham Davit, to first, because we had no Georgia match, by the way, that was something we were hoping to recap yep. uh, in our opening segment, Georgia, North Carolina, unfortunately postponed this past weekend. Yeah, we've seen flashes of the lineup, but still Scotty Crawley, uh, you know, Mora and Tanjulig and all, uh, who am I missing here? Riley Tran, where are they all going to play? Yep. What's the lineup going to look like? What's the doubles lineup look like? Uh, that Those are my questions. Anything else to add to this?
2: Nope. Those are the questions.
1: That's it? You, you're taking them straight up? Do they drop a point? No. Does Texas drop a point? No. Yeah. Welcome back to
2: the college kind of season. Because, I mean, they play clinch here, right? So it's just yeah. going to be 4 O's. No,
1: and this is the beauty, by the way, of the 15 regions spread. It's like last year, every match, 4-3 after 4-3, it's just like it was chaos. Um, There is a sense of normalcy. It's just great to be back to 15-regions competing. All right, that's your second lock. Third lock, yeah, they lost this weekend. I think we both agree. Pepperdine Waves hosting Notre Dame, Colorado, Columbia. Excuse me, they're still prohibitive favorite. Yep.
2: Nothing to add? Line of questions? Well, I'm, I am anticipating we'll see Patrick Kaleva back in the lineup. So we'll be curious to where, see where she slots in. Uh, curious to see where Pear, uh, head coach, Pear Nilsson, if he makes additional changes based on that loss, um, you know, this past weekend. But that's really it, just lineup monitoring. And we'd call him Coach Nilsson, but Pear is just a great name. It's like, a great name. How,
1: yeah, how are we not going to use Pear? And so, yeah, I agree with you. I, it's going to be interesting, does Brodus stay in? Let her play through her lumps. like that, I think that would be Pear's inclination always. Um and this weekend I here's my take. It's gonna be two completely different lineups. No player, although it's national endorsed, you gotta lock in those things. Yeah. I would say this, you get three changes, three changes between lineup one and lineup two. That would be my
2: guesstimate. Over under two and a half. What do you take? Uh I'll go over, right? Because I mean they could switch one and two, they could switch three and four. So why See, not, right? This is what I'm talking about, Jay. Um, now we're off. Keep everyone guessing. Keep yeah, other it, other teams guessing.
1: I like it. All right, uh, lock number four, and you know, again, what was the cancellation from on the Carolina Georgia side? How does that impact this weekend? That's still an unknown question. But Georgia, our fourth locks, the number four seeds, playing host to Iowa, Mississippi State, and North Florida. A lot of changes for this Georgia team. Certainly the Jokic era has ended. That said, they bring in a ton of talented new players. They bring in,
2: you know, still a solid nucleus back as well. Any questions about their lineup? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, based on their roster, it looks like they've brought in a new January edition in top 20 ITF junior recruit Vidmanova. Um, So that's a huge addition for them. Um, So we'll should see her in action this well as well. They return that nucleus of Kowalski, Kopik, Leah Ma. So they got a lot of options. Uh, This originally, I think I probably wouldn't have had as this kind of tier one lock, assuming Georgia didn't have this new addition and Iowa had Alexa Noel. I probably would have put this in tier two, but in the absence of Noel and with the additions of more talent on the Georgia side, I think they sweep through this Iowa or Mississippi
1: state who wins that matchup? Because again, the, we've talked about the highlight matches. I should have done a better job. There are a lot of, NCAA determining sort of matchups here, like Rice, SMU, that feels incredibly valuable. Oregon, Tulsa, and whomever plays in the loser, you know, in the loser's match, sorry, in the consolation match of that region. Ditto, by the way, for Florida Atlantic ditto, by the way, for Notre Dame, Colorado, Columbia, all of these teams, you know, again, I guess that that's my question here is who gets that third win, you know,
2: who or who gets that consolation win amongst this group? Well, I'll echo your sentiment and say in many ways, that's kind of the um, the feels like the B card, but it's actually the more interesting story in a lot of these regions, these two, three matchups or in the consolation matches. So uh, who gets the third win in terms of who wins? Well, you know, again, so the first
1: two round winners, that's win one. That's win two. The consolation match is technically the third match of the weekend. Yeah, that was poorly explained. Normally in a podcast, Westhoff would edit all this out. We can leave it all in because we're on video now. Who gets that third win, that consolation, that also critical victory coming out of the weekend? In the Georgia region? Well, let's go through. I'm going to start Texas, Rice, SMU, Float Atlantic. Just rock through this quickly. All right. Uh, I'm going to go SMU. Okay, I'll go Rice. All right, I like it. Oregon, Tulsa, Charlotte. Uh, I'm going Oregon. I'm going Oregon as well. Ah! Sorry, Charlotte, I'm going Oregon as well. Ah! Sorry, you like that note? Did I hit that well? Um <laughs> Hey, I'll go Oregon as well. Notre Dame, Columbia, Colorado. Notre Dame. Coach Silverio got you in our interview, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan as well. I'll take I'll take the Irish, but I really like Colorado. I like what Coach Fam is doing. I, I'm just keeping an eye on Colorado. All right, Iowa, Mississippi State, North Florida. I'll go with Mississippi State here. Does Iowa beat them in match number one or no? No, I think Mississippi State gets that win. Okay. Interesting. Um, All right. I like it. Well then with that in mind, Georgia, obviously our other lock, let's get to tier number two. Let's start with that bubble team. We were going to argue about the UCLA Bruins who, you know, again, have lost a couple of faces off of this roster. And, you know, for this team, it's still UCLA. There's still a ton of talent. They're still the heavy favorites over a Washington team that, by the way, not that far removed from a top 10 ranking um, and is much healthier this season, has a bunch of the roster back this season and sent me some fantastic gear over the course. <laughs> thank you, Coach. Yeah, I'm a big fan. And I'm immensely grateful uh, for you doing that. I think that hat, by the way, is one of like six hats in the world large enough to fit my dad's head, which is a big deal in the Groskin household. So again, thank you to you, coach. But I think Washington is sneaky dangerous here. Like they are healthy. They are experienced. I have no idea what the lineup for UCLA is going to look like beyond Forbes. I think I know who some of the faces are, but I have no idea who, who it is beyond like her and what the doubles combinations look like. UCLA is going to advance, but this is the first region where I think ah four, two, like in the cards.
2: Yeah. And so just to lift the, the veil, right. This was when I had in tier one, I slept on it. I moved them to tier two <laughs> because of the Washington angle here. Uh, you know, we just haven't seen UCLA. Right. And we know that they're going to start a lot of freshmen. So this weekend will be their first dual match debut, which is always, you know, you can expect nerves. Washington's never beaten UCLA. It's something to note. Uh, so they're, they're going to be looking for the upset and this is a good opportunity for them it is a dangerous Washington team. They have a strong top of the lineup. They've brought in some additions. Ultimately, I think if you're going to upset UCLA, this is a good chance to do it. Um, but ultimately I think you UCLA does advance, you know, four, two. I, I like that score.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm very, very excited again for this sort of matchup because I'm excited to see what this Washington team, if healthy and playing their best tennis actually looks like and, You know, again, when you look at what this Washington team was able to do, you know, again, what was it, 2019, that they were top 10, I want to say, in the country, something just another 2019 or 2018, and, you know, there are still a few players back on this roster from that team, and to your point, they do add a couple of additions as well, and just I mean, even Denver's always sneaky good. I I, I think Washington gets by then, but I'm actually interested yep. for Denver-Cal Poly because that's that's an interesting matchup again with NCAA implications. I'm curious who wins that one. <sighs> Should I put on the hat? If I put on the hat, it's my upset <laughs> prediction. If I do it, it's you know it's, it's locked in. It's
2: NCAA um, football signing period. That's what I'm saying. Throw I'm, off I'm, the cracked hat.
1: Well, no, no one's seen the, bottom, uh, the top of my head. Um, I mean, so here's the thing. When you look at this UCLA roster, have you learned anything new about them over the past six weeks since we did our preview podcast, Jay? That makes you feel more certain about this team, more certain about, you know, Alicia Bolton or anything associated with anything?
2: No, I mean, we just saw them in a, an individual tournament to start January. We hadn't seen Forbes, uh, but we did see Bolton confirmation uh, that yeah. she'll be playing. So no, we haven't learned anything new since we've done the preview pod.
1: Yeah. And, you know, again, well, I guess we did learn Boltons for sure coming back and that's good to know. And, you know, again, when Forbes and Bolton are your crutch, think Navarro and Subash over at Virginia as well. Think about Hamner and Ackley. It's just a good place to start fundamentally. I'm taking UCLA to advance. I imagine you are as well. That's why they're in tier number two. Now, the two other ones, late additions to our tier two locks. We talked a lot about NC State already, so we can breeze through this one. They're hosting Northwestern, who beat them last year. Uh, They're hosting – they beat them last year, right? I'm not crazy here. Yeah, no, Northwestern
2: beat them. Yeah, they upset them because, yeah, Yeah.
1: NC State was not at the eighth person national indoor field in Wake Forest, who, you know, had as successful a fall doubles-wise as any program. And just, you know, again, the pressure they put on you, what's your up 1-0, we know the depth. Right now, across college tennis, Iowa State, unprecedented ITA regional success for them this season. It's a loaded region. Like all of these teams, in my opinion, are NCAA tournament bound, part A, which means fundamentally they're all top 45 teams, top 35 teams. And then I'm really excited. Not as much for NC State. I think they are a lock to advance. I agree with you. But I want to see that consolation match. I want to see Iowa State versus whomever gets knocked out between Northwestern and Wake Forest because that match might be the ultimate dogfight of the weekend. Like that one, the Texas A&M region, the Columbus region, which we'll get to momentarily, those are the consolation matches where you're still fighting with the idea of like, I mean, maybe not top 16 on the line, but you're fighting with some serious
2: stakes on the line. Absolutely. And what I love about it is it's all those two, three, and four are all different conferences, right? So you start to kind of accumulate a a ranked win over a non-conference opponent. That's what kind of, you know, catapults you farther up in the rankings towards the end of the season, especially if you feel high on some of these teams, right? I do think Wake Forest is going to have a really strong season. Iowa State as well, right? So if you get a win over one of those two teams and their ranking continues to climb, you benefit from that the whole season. So, that you're right, that constellation match is gonna be a dogfight and also have a lot of implications.
1: I also think the Big 12 is sneaky good.
2: Not great,
1: but sneaky good. Like I think TCU is going to be better than they were last season in the mix to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Iowa State, obviously. In the mix, I'm expecting a bounce back year from Kansas. I'm expecting a bounce back year from Oklahoma State, who is perennially at the top. Texas Tech's always good. Baylor, you know, what, three losses last season, four losses last season. Texas, 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 Duke. Like, they were good last year. And so, I just think that Big Twelve is sneaky good, and if Iowa State can sneak in a win over an ACC conference foe as well, now you're starting to rack up rack, uh, you know, higher earned wins, and now maybe you're drawing the 15 seed, 16 seed instead of all of these seeds. So again, that NC State region, that said, pretty sure NC State's going to advance, and then our final, you know, again, tier two sort of lock here, and they've earned it. Cal, who, if you beat Pepperdine, you're a tier two lock. And, you know, again, Vanderbilt, San Diego, both very good teams. No disrespect to BYU. No disrespect to any of the teams in those three-gen. But Cal just beat Pepperdine.
2: Like, they're the lock here. What
1: else are you looking for?
2: Yeah, I mean, just that matchup between Vanderbilt and San Diego should be a really good one. Um, both, both teams, I think, are going to have better years this year than they did last year. BYU, sneaky win over Baylor the uh-huh. other week. So, you know, look, they... Um, I don't think they will beat Cal, but it's just that makes the region interesting, particular in the constellation match. Uh, this is certainly not a BYU team that you know these teams will necessarily walk over. So you know it's it's gonna it's a talented region. You know Cal, Vanderbilt, San Diego all have good top of the lineup players. So. It'll be a fun one to watch, but Cal should advance pretty easily. See,
1: I was saving that nugget for right now. I was going to say, well, you know, BYU did just beat Baylor. Although perhaps that tells us more about the Baylor region uh, when we get to it. But yeah, I, those are our locks for the weekend. Seven of them in all. Again, our Tier One, the top four seeds: Texas, North Carolina, Pepperdine, Georgia, UCLA. We expect to advance. NC State after their weekend to beat Ohio State to beat Princeton the way they did. Yes, there's some you know, some solid squads. Actually, you know, again. That's why they're tier two luck, because there's absolutely a world where Northwestern Wake or Iowa State could get them on the right day, but they've earned that distinction. Cal has earned that distinction. Let's flip gears though now. Let's talk about the upset alert. I it's, re, you know, I, I don't I apologize for framing it as hosts most likely to lose, but let's talk about who are those hosts that are most likely to lose, be upset on their home turf this region. There are a couple I've got in mind, Jay.
2: Give me your opinions first. So first and foremost, I think you got to look at Florida State. Uh, Florida State had a really great season last year, made the Elite Eight, uh, has struggled with roster questions. So they only have seven players on the roster right now. We saw them field a team of only four players this past weekend. I'm assuming that's because of COVID protocols. Uh, So we'll see. That's an open question, kind of what they field this weekend, but ultimately, I think they find themselves in a region with Florida as the number two seed who I think is reloaded. You know, they've brought in some transfers. I think this Florida team is going to be looking for a top 16 seed. And I think it starts with uh, knocking off Florida state to advance to indoors. To hear coach Thordquist talk so
1: openly about, you know, the feeling around this Florida program and how they felt they had, you know, fallen short after, you know a 2007 to 2015 run that was as impressive as any run you're going to see in women's college tennis history and he just feels like whether it's the combination of the freshmen the transfers they brought in the experience they have now Kessler at the top as well that they've got a lot of pieces and you're right you know the literally the biggest difference between them and Florida State Florida has a lot of pieces that you're curious about I am curious about what the pieces are at Florida state, like just like foundationally fundamentally. And I am a huge believer in coach Hyde and I want to be abundantly clear about that, but how can you pick them in this scenario? We just know more about the talent that the Gators possess. And yeah, with all due respect to Illinois, who I think is going to be better this season than they were last year. And I just think some things went wrong for them last season. And, you know, FIU who's going to be in the mix in that NCAA range. And if FIU again, more critical than whomever plays. And there's a world perhaps where Illinois beats Florida state, but if FIU can get a win this weekend, boy, would that be huge for them come the NCAA tournament. I think Florida has to be the pick here. Like, again, I really tried to disagree with you. We just don't know enough about the Gators or about the Seminoles to not pick
2: the Gators. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that in mind, that's upset number one, give me upset. Number two, upset number two I have is Baylor. Uh, you know, they are hosting a Miami and USC team that are very good. We just talked about this um, in the BYU, in the Cal region, right? Baylor loses to BYU. Granted, they don't have their number one player from last year, Mel crywatch in the lineup for that, but they have had a lot of pieces on that lineup, and they they rolled most of those pieces out, uh, and, and they lost to BYU kind of fair and square there. And, you know, Miami, USC, these are teams that, there are you know we can be pretty high on I think particularly USC you feel really good about that USC top three of in you know Cayetano, Salma Uing, and um, Snow Han right definitely some questions about their their bottom half of the lineup I think they they rolled out a few lineups this past weekend that weren't super successful or were less than successful than you would hope against some competition so I think that 2-3 matchup is going to be really close between Miami and USC, and I think ultimately the winner has a really good shot to knock off Baylor and Waco.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, look, you mentioned it, to have Cayetano, to have Selma Ewing, to have Snow Hahn, it just gives you a margin for error that other teams don't possess there And that top three as good as any top three in the country. And I do think Coach Swain finally has the depth where she wants it to be. I think she's got options now, four, five, six in ways she didn't maybe in her first couple of seasons. She talked openly in our podcast with her about finding her bearings and learning how to recruit USC versus how she recruited Williams uh, throughout the course of her career. Miami, obviously with the addition of Noel, which we talked about when it happened next year, that team. woo, Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. This year, they've added some pieces. It still feels like they're a player short. I will say this, the 2019 Kansas team that won the Big 12 championship is one of my favorite teams, just like quietly uh, throughout the course of the past few seasons. Just the ability, it felt like they, again, there are a lot of pieces on that team I enjoyed. This team is not that for Kansas, but like. That is no cakewalk, in my opinion, in in this opening match of the region. Like, I really do think Kansas can give Baylor a run for their money. And then, you know, I agree with you. I think USC advances past Miami. I think they're just the best team top to bottom, match calculus-wise, whatever way you want to look at it. I think, I I guess my hot take out of this region is, might Baylor go 0-2? I
2: would be surprised. Uh, I mean, you just, uh, that that was a bad loss to BYU. Yeah. That should not happen. It's a wake yet. up call. Yeah. That's a wake up call. I mean, I had to double check like, who, who lost what match? I mean, mm. they have the talent there on that roster. So I think, and particularly at home, they, they, they don't want to go. zero and two, but I do think they fall in the second round.
1: That's exactly it. I think Baylor, uh because they're at home gets over that four three i think kansas plays them extraordinarily close i think miami gets a good win over kansas to wrap up that region your last upset though jay
2: well, upset, interesting, you know, firecracker region. Got to go to Ohio State. Uh, I think this... For the record, this was our runner-up for most interesting region. Like, if we could have
1: gone 1A, 1B, Super Producer West, stuff was like, I need you more structured than that. So we added some structure, and you see the beautiful graphics as such. But, yeah, this Ohio State region
2: is just... Mwah. Yeah, it's probably the only one where if you told me any of these four teams advanced... I, I would believe you, right? There's a case to be made for all of those teams, particularly on the heels of Ohio State going 0-2, right? Granted, they lost to a Duke team. They lost to an NC State team, both very good teams, but doesn't get easier, right? And I think a sneaky upset here is Oklahoma State over Ohio State in that round one. This Oklahoma State team has clearly reloaded. They've got a lot of talent. I think they match up pretty well with Ohio State. So I think if Ohio State can get through Oklahoma State and play the winner of Tennessee or LSU, it could be Tennessee. I think the winner of the 1-4 matchup actually advances here.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. You know, again, do I have Ohio State on upset alert? Maybe not quite yet, and I want to talk about this region. I want to offer you my thoughts. Just to finish the thing on upsets, is Georgia Tech on here? Is UCF on here? Like UCF's an interesting one to me. You maybe throw up here on, in this graphic.
2: Well, how long is the list? Right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, yeah, uh, to me, you know, it, and how much of it? How much of it is an upset if Georgia Tech loses to Michigan? Slight. Right. Say that again. One more time. Sorry, my connection broke up. <laughs> it is a slight <laughs> upset, but it is would still be an upset on paper. Uh, right, compared to like. Florida state, particularly off coming off the season they had. So the reality is, is parody is the name of the game. So a lot of these regions, you could see the top seed upset. These are the three that if I was to bet, these are where I would put some, some money on versus, you know, a, a one, two matchup in uh, Michigan, Ohio state. Or no, no, Michigan, you, state. You stake
1: the reputation. I get it. Now the LSU program to me is, just interesting because I just like, I I'm, I'm not exactly sure what I should expect coming into this season. They had a lot. There's just a lot of moving pieces and just a lot of different things going on. And, you know, again, I think this, I think when you look at that Ohio state region, I think it was really good for the Buckeyes to go down to Duke to NC state and lose four, three matches, but on in away matches, and just kind of be like, we're not doing that at home. Like that is that is not going to fly for us. We have that fire in our bellies, you know, Tennessee's magic right now. And they found four singles wins at, after dropping a doubles point. And, you know, again, I, I do think Oklahoma state, Chris Young is very confident. He's got a good team on his hands this year uh, down in Stillwater. And I think that matters. But that's why I kind of like that the Buckeyes lost 4-3 against Duke and NC State this weekend is they're ready for that Oklahoma State challenge. And I think getting through that one ultimately helps them get through the next test. And I just think they take doubles against LSU and Tennessee, and then good luck finding three singles wins against anyone. I like doubles for Ohio State the best in the region. I like Kantos probably best at the number one singles position in the region. That's why I roll with the Buckeyes. Those are the two most known quantities. But You're right. Like, and again, talk about in terms of chasing a a top 16 position and being a host site, regardless of, yes, LSU, Tennessee, inherently valuable because uh, they, you know, they are 17 and 18 right now in the rankings, and they're going to get another shot at one another come the SEC tournament. And to split those matches just helps them uh, invariably. But that consolation match, whether it is Ohio State uh, getting upset by Oklahoma State or a hungry Oklahoma State team against whomever loses LSU Tennessee, that's another one you just circle as a doggy dog we are we-are-going-for-top-16-seeding sort of matchup.
2: Yeah, and these teams are all just so close. I think one thing to note for Oklahoma State, they did not have Alana Wolfberg in that match against Princeton. If she is in the lineup that's an upset alert for me with Ohio state. I am pretty hot, particularly given the questions that arose for me with Ohio state's depth in this past weekend against NC state against Duke uh, that that's an open question, but I do think the Buckeyes advance. I agree with you. Doubles and one is going to get them probably two points on the board, but again, those matches at two, three, and that consolation match are going to going to pay off uh, come, come May.
1: Yeah, these are all great reasons to watch. And again, let's get to the best of the rest, the ones we have yet to cut uh, touch on thus far. Uh, you know, you look here at the options available to us. We'll start, I'd say, with Georgia Tech, uh, the Georgia Tech region. You look there, Georgia Tech, Michigan, Ole Miss, Old Dominion. Now, Kenya Jones, Vicky Flores, who had been the core of that Georgia Tech team for so long, they're both gone. I still think there's some ta- talent on Coach Harmon's roster but I just kind of like this Michigan team a little bit better. I like the experience there, whether it be Kari Miller or just, you know, again, Serdon, Jaden Brown, obviously with my little sister, Julia Fliegner, as well in the mix. I just think it's I think Michigan's very good. I think we should win
2: this region. Yeah, it's going to be a new Georgia Tech team, right? You lose mm-hmm. that top two. Not necessarily that all it'll be new faces. We've seen a lot of these faces before at the bottom of the lineup. They'll have to step up. Uh, they certainly have the benefit of playing at home against Michigan, but that's going to be a very close one to matchup, which is why I don't have it really on upset alert because to me, you know, it could go either way and I, either one would make sense, but Michigan in particular looked pretty good in their, in their fall invites that they've played so far. They've gotten a lot of victories from just a lot of different people. Uh, I'm not sure we've landed on the lineup necessarily, but you feel pretty good about whoever plays anywhere for Michigan you ready for the hot take old it's dominion like, over Georgia OD, Tech. i was gonna say yeah. i mean that's a, that's that's a great one right? you got to feel like they feel good about doubles yeah, yeah right They you probably would imagine yeah they feel good about probably one or two yeah gotta find one more i that's certainly viable it's my upset alert there because, again, it's a very young Georgia
1: Tech team, even if they are quite talented. Uh, you get to some of the other regions, again, we've yet to touch on. I want to get to this, the Shaolin showdowns, as I call them, the matches. You know, We are very much looking forward to that 1-2 thriller in the second day of the region. Last one would be UCF Auburn and Arizona State, obviously, UC Santa Barbara. By the way, I didn't list it there. Georgia Tech hosting Michigan, hosting Ole Miss, hosting Old Dominion, uh here at UCF, it's Auburn, Arizona State, UC Santa Barbara coming down to Orlando to play the Golden Knights. I mean, Coach Kenyako's team really should have beaten Duke last year. like it felt like they had that match from a momentum standpoint, let it slip away. Now, some new faces on the board now for the Knights. I think they advance,
2: but I just i'm not I'm not very sure. I mean, they barely beat Penn. Uh, you know, the other day, granted, they didn't have Zaleva at one. So that's an open question. Uh, Auburn struggled against Furman as well. They advanced four, three. This is probably the weakest region uh, of the 15 in terms of kind of the top teams here. You lean UCF it's at home. If they get Zaleva back in the lineup, you feel like they have the pieces to to win. Auburn hasn't been super impressive. Um, So, you know, you lean UCF and like Nona and get the win there. Um, but a yeah. lot, of, lot of questions for UCF moving forward.
1: Very much agree with you. I would say of the regions, that's probably, and I say this lovingly to UCF, every region inherently entertaining. Um, again, no, you know what? I'll still watch it because I need to learn about this UCF team because I do think there are some pieces there for us to monitor. All right, last but not least, the Shaolin showdowns. Now, all due respect to Furman and Nebraska, I think we know as we look towards Durham, Duke, Oklahoma collision course
2: round of 32 which way you lean in Jay you know I've been high on this Oklahoma team (laughs) this is your squad (laughs) since the beginning of the year it was a big blow for them to lose Dana Guzman I've been impressed with them I think they carry that momentum that they had wins over uh, Princeton a few other wins and I think that they pull off the upset in Durham Here's what I will say right now. I can hear coach Cohen screaming at us saying Furman is
1: very good. Like we are not looking past Furman. They don't have to. Cause we can. Yeah. It's- <laughs> <laughs> That's our job. Exactly. It's the depth. It's the depth. It's the yep. depth this Oklahoma team has and the experience that they bring into this match as well, that it is Jackson. And it is, you know um, I'm missing one of the other Emmas, the other Allie, who's A- yeah, Ali Coleman, uh, Allie Coleman, excuse me. Yeah. Ali Coleman and Emma Jackson. And just, You know, again, we saw one victory from them over the course of the weekend, but to ask them to come up against this Oklahoma team that is riding some confidence now with a couple of early season victories. You know, we got a question from sports fanatics asking how much does it hurt LSU to have not played a match coming into this kickoff weekend? I think it hurts every team to have not played a match coming into this weekend. Now here's the difference. These two teams are both tested. Duke got, you know, those freshmen did get a look at tight action I still think Oklahoma is their toughest test to date. Here's what it comes down to. Drummy, Beck, Chen, or the top three of Oklahoma, or like, or the depth or four, five, six of Oklahoma. Who do you view as the more dominant of the two? I think, I think Duke gets the edge in doubles. And then I like the two, the experience of the Duke top three, just a little bit better. So I take Duke in crunch time and it's at home. It's in Durham at Duke, the comfort of that. And to be indoors as well, now that Oklahoma doesn't play indoor tennis, but I'm taking the Blue Devils to advance. National indoors is always where they're dangerous. I say they beat Oklahoma. I still think this is lock it in for three.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I buy taking them Duke and doubles. I think Oklahoma has looked strong in doubles. They have a lot of different pieces. You know, the Corley sisters. Corley's at the
1: top two. Yeah, that's true. Versus back in. Who's back play with Billiken. Billiken, Man, that's a fun matchup.
2: Yeah. And so Oklahoma's look good in doubles. You know, I got to favor Oklahoma at the bottom of the lineup, particularly uh, five and six. You know, four is probably going to be a close match, whether it is Chen, whether it is Emma Jackson. Uh, To me, yes, Duke has the home court advantage. I think if Oklahoma can get one of the top three, if they can figure out where they play Lady Sleeth versus uh, Ivana Corley, they can get a win there. They probably won't get a win at one. They can get doubles and they can get two of the bottom three. That's their match calculus. You feel good about it. They've done it before. So this could be the one of the one of the host upsets for me. Yeah, I I think that's a good one to put on the board.
1: Uh the other one I think we have to put on there, and this might be the showdown of showdowns, Virginia, Stanford, the battle for Jay's heart. Uh, <laughs> you look obviously uh, at this, and again, no disrespect to the other teams in the region, Arkansas. You know how big a believer I am in Coach Sanchez Quintanar and what she's building down there, James Madison. Would be huge for them to escape the weekend with a win over this Arkansas team, but I think we know which direction the region's heading. And look, you get the number one player in the country in Emma Navarro, and in my opinion, the best you mean the top... un- un- unranked player in the country, yeah, you're <laughs> correct. The defending NCAA champion, unranked Emma Navarro, uh, and Natasha Subash is arguably, if not definitively, the number one one two singles punch in the nation, of course. They've got plenty of new pieces coming in as well to fill up the bottom of those lineup. And last year was Doubles, Navarro, Subash, Rosie, Johansson, who seemed to be the recipe for the Who's. How do they replace that fourth point here this season? A lot of new freshmen in the mix, but you want to talk talented new freshmen? Connie Ma, Yepa Fanova. this Stanford roster, who we recently learned, Jay, no Michaela Gordon, it looks like, for them here in 2022. In the end, I think she opts not to return for an additional season. That's certainly a loss for this yes. Stanford rosters. She was, you know, the number one singles player for them these past couple of years. And, you know, my hot take was to take them as the NCAA finalists. I still feel really good about this team, but now it goes from, well, you really just need one of Ma and Yepifinova to click in those top three positions to, all right, now you're asking a little bit more of the freshmen. And right away, it's probably going to be Ma, Yepafanova, Navarro, Subash, like, Come on now. Best of the rest.
2: Yeah. This is a tough region, right? This is, these are two teams that could very well, both be top 10 teams. We have them as top 10 teams, you know, losing Gordon hurts. That was kind of going to be the linchpin between the top of the lineup and the lower half. Um, One thing to note, UVA hasn't played Subash. I think maybe injuries, maybe COVID protocols, uh, but she was out in some of the dual matches they played. Uh, We did see Navarro in action. So you know, we saw Elaine Dravinsky play up towards top of the lineup for UVA. This is going to be a battle. I've leaned UVA this entire time. I'm going to stick with UVA for the reason alone of, one, this is not an indoor Stanford team, right? Stanford has struggled Very indoors in point. the past. And even just the makeup of their current lineup, you look at some of the players that they're going to have in the bottom of the lineup, not exactly indoor players, right? Not a ton of power at that bottom of the lineup. A lot of, you know, defenders. Question for me is what does UVA's lineup look like? Who is playing four, five, and six? But again, I just think with doubles, Navarro, Shubas, they're going to get two of the top three with Travinsky. I'm feeling less positive about Connie Ma than maybe I was after the fall Nationals, given some of her losses that she took in Vegas a few weeks ago. So I'm feeling good about the who's here, and we'll see. It's going to be a great match. I'm pretty sure I predicted
1: Stanford to win. And
2: with that in mind,
1: Westhoff, let's go to our predictions here as we get towards the end of today's show. Just to recap everything we've talked about in our 15 regions. Uh, You can see them up here on the board. Westhoff, you can put this in the chat. I believe I picked Stanford to advance over Virginia, even knowing what I knew about Michaela Gordon. Because again, I had to find some area to disagree with you. Uh, it's a depth thing. Like, just give me the four, five. Again, it's it's a similar question to what we asked. Who do you feel better about, the top three of Virginia or the four, five, six of Stanford? You talked me into it. This is the problem here. I'm now thinking it might be the Virginia train, and that's what I should have picked in the region. But you see it on the board, and once it's on the board, it's locked. So your predictions, again, we both have Texas, UNC, Pepperdine, Georgia advancing. We have UCLA, NC State as well. We both have Florida advancing over Florida State. I have Duke. You have Oklahoma. I have Stanford. You have Virginia. I guarantee you Jay's going to end up right on both accounts I picked Michigan. You picked Georgia tech. That's interesting to me. I like that. Um, in the end, you know, we both pick UCF. We both pick Ohio state. We both have Cal, both have USC, both have Texas a and M. Oh man. I feel I'm nervous, Jay. I'm nervous <laughs> looking at that board. I'm like, oh, I'm not really going to lose by two to him in the two places. We significantly disagree? Um, yeah just any final reflections any final thoughts any final lineup questions things you'll be looking at that we didn't get the chance to touch on today we hit it all we, we hit, hit it we there. hit it all we hit every region now, are these easier to listen to than be a part of now that
2: you're on the other side um yeah they're they're tough although i what i <laughs> yeah. like about the regions is their structure to it right it's yes. like okay the, the one that is very difficult is when you have to come up with like a top 10 ranking and it's just like no. anyone can go anywhere, but no, overall, I think we've talked about it. All. I think we've talked about it all. The biggest question lineup question for me is Georgia uh, with the addition of Vidmanova who will need to see Um, who is in the lineup for Virginia. Do we see Shubash? Georgia tech? We haven't seen at all. <laughs> What's that lineup look like? Uh, and other than that, I think we've seen most of these teams. So, I'm excited. I I hope I beat you.
1: Oh, uh, I, I, yeah, I hope you do as well. I'm upset with myself because you just brought something up and I forgot to tell West off we need a top 10 graphic and therefore we're not going to do top 10 poll this week. We're going to save it till next week after the kickoff weekend for our first Crack Rackets top 10 poll. That will be a staple of this show moving forward as well. But let us gather some data. This is the ceremonial kickoff weekend. We will have our ceremonial uh, Crack Rackets first top 10 poll of the season following it. but Some good news for all of you listeners. We're going to have some action covered for you here on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel throughout the course of the weekend. We are thrilled to announce our sites that we will be covering here in our red zone coverage of the ITA kickoff weekend. These sites you can see on screen. NC State, all of the intrigue there. Iowa State, Northwestern. How does uh, Wake Forest look as well? Those schools going to be on our broadcast. Guess what? We get that Ohio State region as well. Ohio State, LSU, Tennessee, Oklahoma State. Of course, we're fortunate to get that Duke-Oklahoma match. We'll get all the intrigue down in Baylor as well. A couple of things in the works. I'm working my derriere off to get Texas A&M because I want to see all the aspects of that as well on the women's side. And then, of course, we've got more announcements for you in the men's sites we'll be hosting over the course of the weekend as well. But again, NC State women, Ohio State women. Duke women, Baylor women, all of the action in those regions is going to be covered here on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We will be tuned in from start to finish throughout the day. First ball to the last, as we try to provide all of you college tennis fans with the kickoff weekend experience you deserve. With all that said, Jay, any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? Any final kickoff weekend thoughts? How much stamina you got left in the tank, my friend? You got one more big weekend
2: in you? I'm looking forward to it. Those are great four sites. Uh, That was news to me. So I'm excited for those. Um, You know, you know, if you could only choose four, I mean, those are those are some of the four best. So really excited for that. Really excited to just kick this off. Uh, So many questions. I just hope to see some really good tennis. I think we will.
1: I'm very grateful for the fact that it's the second weekend of the Australian Open, because if I had to do this in third rounds and all of that nonsense, my brain might explode. But only to have to monitor one, two Australian Open matches to be able to lock in on the college tennis. A, it's the perfect you know, weaning off of the heavy tennis action of the Australian open. It's like, don't worry. We still got one more jam packed weekend for you in the kickoff. And again, 15 fantastic regions on the women's side, 15 fantastic regions on the men's side as well, which we will be breaking down on this edition of the deciding point, a Thursday edition, excuse me, of the deciding point with the lesser Holy Trinity members, Chris Hallioris, Matt Stokowiak as well. But again, weekly episodes of The Deciding Point. That's our commitment to all of you college tennis fans. Hopefully, all of you will continue to send in questions and to any we didn't answer. I apologize, Scotty B. You asked about Fernanda Lebrana. She has transferred. That is why she is no longer on the Texas roster. She will be playing uh, this spring. That's, I'm getting to the tidy finaling up of final questions here, Jay. Um, That's news what to else? me about Lebrana. Oh, I thought Lebrana was. Oh, that she's not on the Texas roster? Oh, I knew that. I didn't know she. I thought she just left. I thought she, she transferred. Am I crazy here? I thought she transferred somewhere. All right. You know what? I got to double check on that. Scotty B. Westhoff, leave we'll it in. we the sources. It, yeah, but cut it out of the podcast edition. Um, no, because uh, I thought I saw her on the Miami roster, to be honest, but maybe I'm crazy here. Maybe I'm losing my brain. Again, unconfirmed, unconfirmed. <laughs> but this is why we'll, we'll worry about that later. This is when uh, you get know, an hour again, and a half into the show. Yeah, I hope we <laughs> answered. This is why I didn't answer the question because I was like, who was it? Who did he ask about? Um, you know, again, juiciest kickoff weekend. I think we answered all the questions. Sports fanatics, Scotty B., the entire crew, shout out to your questions we are immensely grateful to any coaches players who tuned in thank you as well shout out to the man on the ones and twos daniel westoff i mean look at the job he did it's like we're doing a real studio show here right now i feel like i'm in the box i'm trying to break out let me get out of here a shout out to you super producer daniel westoff for keeping us inside the box and allowing us to take our production to the next level with all that said kickoff weekend around the corner ohio state uh baylor uh we've got duke we've got so much fantastic action nc state as well here on the women's side plenty of men's action to cover as well we hope you'll stick with us throughout the course of the weekend we'll hope you'll join us not only thursday night for the men's recap but each and every week as we all celebrate the 2022 college tennis season with all of that said for My fantastic co-host, John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all on Thursday. Thanks, everyone.